0: Welcome, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is The Ziegler Show, inspired by the grandfather of inspiration himself, Zig Ziglar. Our focus here is you and your personal development. The way to have more tomorrow is to become more today. So, we bring you the best of today's world influencers and their messages, and discover how we can all apply new and classic methodologies of personal growth to our lives. In this episode, how to ensure everyone hears what you are saying. Even if they are listening, are people really hearing you in meetings, PowerPoint presentations, on stage talks, whether you're a pastor, presenter or teacher or selling a parent? uh, Anytime you are speaking and want people to really listen and be engaged, chances are you're doing it wrong that's actually kind of harsh or you could be doing it better let's say that me too jared cooney horvath is a cognitive neuroscientist with a master's degree from harvard university and his doctorate from the university of melbourne his muse however is the workplace it's selling and communicating he walks us through what is normally done and why it's generally so ineffective and you're going to resonate with this maybe you've done it yourself but more than likely you have been privy to it you've been in the audience he brilliantly lays out what the brain does when we talk while showing text on a screen and how we can only follow one, not both uh, aspects. He tells us why images add so much, but you know how many? He answers that. And truly, folks, this is going to resonate with you, I think, right off the bat and give you tremendous tips on what to do and what to not do in your next presentation of any type. And again, the presentation could be around the dinner, dinner table to your kids uh, or at your work workplace or on stage, wherever it may be. Uh, So this is why Jared has been featured in the New York Times, PBS, BBC, The Economist, New Scientist, and ABC's Catalyst. I shared Jared's book with a doctor, a friend of mine, and she responded that she stayed up late and totally reworked a presentation she was doing at a conference the next day. I'm prepping for a keynote speaking engagement overseas and I'm following right along with Jared's counsel to structure the entire talk. The book he has out is Stop Talking, Start Influencing, 12 Messages from Brain Science to Make Your Message Stick, and it's our focus of this episode. You can find it on Amazon or wherever you get your books. Folks, I want to thank you uh, real quick for the influx of listeners like you who keep sharing the shows with others, especially on social media. Episode 728, it was titled Victim Speak. You are doing it. Stop. That I did with my dad, Dan Miller, was shared a great deal. It was really incredible. Uh, You can find the show postings to share and join our weekly conversations at my Facebook page, Agent K Miller. But just wanted to say thanks. All right, I'm going to get started with Jared right after I share some products and services I think will be of interest to so many of you. All right, well, Jared, I generally start the show off with, you know, the big picture premise. And, and, and obviously this one is, in essence, communicating. I mean, if you want to do, folks listening, if you want to do a better job getting your message across to another person or audience, this show is for you. However, it just hit me today on my, on my mountain bike ride. You know how movies start off with the graphic scene to shock you or hook you or the news leads with, uh, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. So I'm going to start off with some blood uh, PowerPoint presentations, which is, is just, Tent-tent. I know it's just yeah. such a little <laughs> tangible spot, but when I read that, I thought, Oh my gosh, how many of us have bled from these stupid presentations or caused uh, you know, caused somebody else unknowingly to be bleeding. So I wanted to start off right there where to hit, hit uh, you know, give you a hook folks, and then I'm going to come to the big, big premise here. So tell us what we're doing wrong with PowerPoint
1: oh my goodness what are we doing right now this is (laughs) this is one of those periods where i i I tend to like to say a lot of people will just toss powerpoint recently blame the tool the tool's fine it's just what are we doing with it and i think the kind of three biggies we've got are one we've turned did you ever you know when you went through high school did you ever read cliff's notes of books
0: oh absolutely
1: so that's it, for the, he's, I work in education. He's one of the biggest enemies yet heroes of education because the kids love him. The teachers hate him. Yeah. And the whole reason he's who he is is because he just summed everything up, put it in a book. Cool. Read this instead of the real thing. Right. That's what we tend to do with our PowerPoint slides is we make cliff notes of our presentations and the audience is real smart. They know real quick that, okay, if it's important, it's on the slides. Anything I really need to know It's on the slides. So if you've got slides that stand as a cliff notes for your presentation, for your pitch, for whatever you're doing, you've just made yourself obsolete. You've essentially just worked yourself out of the job. And you'd be better off printing it out, handing it out, and leaving than trying to talk over it. So I think kind of rule number one, less is more when it comes to PowerPoint. It's there to support, to scaffold you but you need to maintain the crux of information. You are the one in charge. They're here to hear you, your ideas filtered through you. So kind of step one, remove as much stuff as you can. Words, 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 get rid of them. Um, Sad fact, human beings, it's neurologically impossible to read words while listening to somebody speak simultaneously. So if you've got words on a slide, you've just made yourself obsolete. Get rid of the words, have simple images, one per slide that reflect what it is you're trying to teach, get across. And use consistency. This is the, weird, the other weird thing most people don't think about. They, I, I don't know if they're afraid of boredom or what, but if every slide comes up with a totally different format, like a big picture over here, then over here with a keyword, people have to expend cognitive energy to interpret your slides. So the more they can predict it, the more that frees up energy, cognitive resources, attention, so they can pay attention and learn from you. So the more consistency you have slide to slide, the more they can focus in and actually pay attention to what it is you're trying to teach them. Yeah. So I'd say almost no words, keyword, fine, but get rid of your words, get rid of all of that dense information, one picture per slide that resonates with what you're trying to teach and use consistency to your advantage. At the end of the day, when that PowerPoint goes black because there's a power outage, you should be able to keep going. If you have to stop because the projector went out, then you've used that tool wrong back to the drawing board.
0: Okay, there there was the there was the cliff's notes of uh, that whole thing, but I just thought, <laughs> and that was one. Where I just thought, oh my gosh, because I I cringe at the slides, at the powerpoints. I've noticed TED talks through the years where people have gotten so good with e- with either using them well, or a lot of folks I know just don't really use them that much. And they may yep, splash yeah. a, scr- a picture up there, let everybody look and laugh or whatever, and then talk and you're focused on them. They've gotten so good, but I just thought how many of us are wrecking our opportunity to get a message across because we are doing it wrong. And you show us that in so many ways. So, okay. So now that we did my little, uh, you know, bleeding leading thing, a big picture uh, and, and folks, we will come back to just some radically simple and tangible applications just like that. But I mean, we, everybody here is, uh, you know, seeking to further develop themselves for the better. And we talk about having goals in our lives, making a plan for our work, our finances, our marriage, our parenting, whatever. And you're calling us, and, I, and this is what I love, to have knowledge and a plan for how we engage with other people. And now we're, it's, hundred percent tangible for the stage, which we have a lot of our audience that does that, but just as much for the boardroom and just as much when I'm sitting at the table with my wife and kids and I'm trying to communicate a message, it's all a hundred percent applicable. And it made me wonder, I mean, how many people, maybe even those who, who know the stage deal, but how many of them on the day-to-day conversations with coworkers, staff, family, whatever, really engage or, or, or have a plan for that basic day-to-day communication for doing it well yeah. and, and i thought well I, i'll throw that to you i mean literally you know what would you guess on the average of humanity even the aspiring humanity that actually has any really cognizance yeah of what they're doing
1: i think you, you, you kind of what you were saying earlier the 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 people who are doing the ted talks seem to really recognize this pattern of learning of thinking mm-hmm. and how to tap into it but beyond that it's it's I I can't imagine it's it's very many. So maybe we're seeing a snapshot of the of the few percentage that have really, truly gotten it. And now the rest of us just get to learn from that and kind of step up into it, because it's funny, I work in the university I work at. I'm in the education department right now. So you, you assume of all the human beings, at least in that school, that understand how people think, how people learn and how we then need to communicate so they can learn, it would have to be them. But my goodness, they are still the worst teachers, the worst presenters, some of the worst uh, lab runners because they just can't crack through. So they, they know the juice. They know what to do. They still just don't know how to apply it in their real life. Yeah. So I, it's, it's one of those tricky spots where I think we, we kind of overlook it and we hope our message will carry enough weight without the way we present it. And sooner or later, we got to realize it's the presentation is part of it.
0: And I have seen folks who are good one-on-one and terrible on stage. And I've seen vice versa. Brilliant on stage. You get them off of that. And they are the most bumbling communicators. Can't look you in the eye. (laughs) (coughs) It really is. Well, so, you know, I I would hope that people who are in sales and who are, you know, in, in, in other professions know some basic communication skills. I mean, I grew up with Zig Ziglar and Dale Carnegie and things of the nature of, you know, in a sales presentation, when talking, just shut up, make sure you're not the one talking the most or, uh, mirror their body language and how that, you know, impacts people. But still that's such a minimal piece. And what I hear you talking about in the book, that that's, that's a, a shallow aspect of understanding or, or maybe that's the letter of the law, but we're not getting the spirit of communication overall. And I honestly wondered where did you get, what brought you to that vocational, you know, focal point?
1: So it's, it's, I I love exactly what you're saying. I actually, I grew up as a teacher um, originally. So of course, when you're teaching, the entire premise of your career is you need to get people to engage with, fall in love with and listen to, embody what you're trying to give them. And from there, I, I realized especially in the education field there are books coming out left and right that are like do these 10 things do these 10 things do these and kind of like what you're saying they're the letter of the law but no one can ever tell me why it works and i kind of sit in this real sweet zone in my own understanding of the world where if you give me a recipe I i can follow that just fine but I really don't know what it is I'm doing. So if it fails, I can't tell you why I can't adapt it. I can't tweak it to a context. I don't know why it's working, why it's not. I'm just following rules, cool. But if you can give me the why, why does mirroring somebody's body language work? What's physically going on? What's the mechanism? Now I can take ownership of that and make it my own. So I figured out when I was teaching, I was getting all these kind of rule sets and strategies and tips and no one could tell me what was going on. So I figured I'm gonna have to go figure that out myself. So what was meant to be kind of a quick jaunt back into academia has now been 14 years of neuroscience and psychology and all the science of learning, science of thinking, and pulling out these kind of principles of why, these these, uh, uh, nuggets of learning and thinking, so that I could go back to teachers, to students, to parents and say, here's why these things work. And now that you know the why, you can make it your own. You don't have to just follow my rules. You don't have to take my word for it you can take ownership of it. You can feel it. And there's that weight to it. And I think you notice it yourself. If somebody says do X, cool. We're typically happy to do it. But once somebody says, because here's why yeah. the reason you're sick is because you have this bug. The reason you're coughing is because you have this going on in your brain right. and people go, Oh, and it gives you some more weight. And now people are more willing to play with it, to take ownership yeah. of it. And so there's where I come in is I I still spend most of my time in schools working with teachers and students. But in the last couple of years, I've now started to go out past that to start to say, okay, in a broader world, does all this stuff still make sense? And turns out it still looks like it does. Turns
0: out it sure as heck does. I mean, this is... Well, you talk about that—that that we are all influencers. Very, you know, there's Zig Ziglar personified when he says we're all in sales, we're all influencing. And you also use the word persuasion, and I kind of jumped on that because I know the word often has negative baggage with it, but it—I sh- don't believe it should. Obviously, we can use any of this for 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 bad. You know, we can be a con artist, we can manipulate, whatever. I'm not trying to do that with my family. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to do that with my audience. I am trying to find ways. To get a point across so that they get it, and hopefully it will persuade to a better, uh, you know, a better decision, a better, uh, a better lifestyle design, whatever. So I like that term. And again, we have whether it's you know talking to my kids, employees, coworkers, managers, bosses, whatever prospects. We need to be able to do this, and yet you also say there's so much confusing and conflicting information floating around about this topic. So I wanted to throw that at you and ask you, tell us what, what are some of the highlight things that we've been told, whether we're sales professionals or whether we're just, you know, trying to learn how to communicate that are going awry?
1: I, I, I think one of the big kind of swing points right now that have been going on in like the last kind of 10 years, maybe is this passion, this love with data. Human okay. beings just in, a, in a kind of around the world, people seem to be in love with this concept of evidence and data. And can you prove it to me? And I, I, just, I mean, granted I'm in science, so I, I, I get the appeal, but my gosh, data and evidence have nothing to do with getting people inspired and intrigued and wanting to learn something. Um, it turns out at the end of the day, I could, I can prove to you with numbers exactly what I need to you to do. But if I can't emotionally drive you yeah. to, to to connect with it, to care, to see why that's relevant in your own life, all the facts and data in the world become totally meaningless. So I think one of the big swing points, especially now go back to education, that we're coming to in education is kind of this stepping away from the let's try and cram as much new ideas as we can in you and swing back to this kind of what we'll call in. uh Uh, what do we call it? An intrinsic motivation. Why can I get you to fall in love with this topic? How is it that I can get you to recognize that something like math, something like science, something like morality is even worth considering in your life? And how do we do that? It's almost purely through narrative. So you'll find the the most persuasive, the most, uh, um, what I would say, compelling and impactful, influential people in the world are doing nothing but narratizing. They're giving you facts, but you never know you're getting them yeah. because all you're doing is listening to the story. You walk away knowing a lot more than you thought you knew, but no one ever told you, no one ever crammed it down your throat. It was embedded in the way they were getting you to think about your own life, your own narrative, your own thinking. So that's my, that's the big one where I'm coming at now is, is un, as much as I would love to say that we can convince each other with, with our scientific facts, it's just not how we think we yeah. think in story, we think in narrative. So that's how we have to teach one another.
0: I want to come back to narrative because you talked, well, I started off, you know, with the PowerPoint thing and or, or the, yeah, yeah. the slide on the screen and I, I mean, it totally makes sense. I had not thought about that though. When I am reading, it is a literal voice in my head. And so if I am reading and listening to that voice in my head, my own voice, or if it's Morgan Freeman uh, on the picture, I'm reading it in his voice <laughs> as you showcased in the book. Uh, when I... Well, the testimony of the book, and I told you about that. So I gave this book to my wife who works with a group of neuroscientists, and they do cognitive training, and uh, her partner, the doc, read it, and she said, oh my gosh, I, I'm going to a, an event in two days, some convention that they're doing. I redid my entire presentation because of that, because she had text and data, just what you talked about. Yep, Bull- yep. She's a scientist, man. She loves that stuff. Uh, wait. That's, yeah.
1: It, it, I would love to say that that's, that, that's the work, but the, I mean, this is a good <laughs> perfect example of, of, say, one of the whys that I like to talk about, the foundations. Okay. So let's say, why did we ever get to this point where we cram as much information as we can onto a PowerPoint slide to convince other people? It's because we made this mistake and assumption that the more information you get, the better you're going to do with it. So not only right. can you hear me talk about it, but now you can read it as well. And here, I'm going to give you a handout. So my goodness, now you've got three sources of information that's really going to convince you. But unfortunately, what we do when we do that is we now sidestep and we accidentally impede on what we'll call a principle of human cognitive processing, of brain power. So kind of what you were just saying. Turns out when you're reading something, by definition, you have to turn that reading into vocality. So as far as your brain is concerned, your brain is listening to yourself speak the words aloud whenever you're reading anything. So if you're reading and trying to listen to me, you're not getting two streams of information. Now you're getting conflicting streams of information, trying to go through the same processing network of your brain. Right. You can listen to yourself speak or read. You can listen to me speak, but you can never listen to both of us simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And the problem here now is cool. So you can only listen to one at a time. The problem is, is most people don't know this fact so what do they try and do they try and do both they try and read and then jump back to listen and then yeah. read and then listen and then take a look at the handout and then come back and what they're doing when they're doing all that jumping is now they've entered into the realm of multitasking which unfortunately no human being can do yeah. and this one my wife still gets on my case about this <laughs> ladies you cannot do it. <laughs> no one can yeah. do it it's a cognitive bottleneck and what happens is, as you jump between tasks, what you start to do is you start to lose information from all the different streams. You just kind of cut out and go into black zones every time you jump. So now, when you've got somebody trying to read, trying to listen, trying to look at a handout, not only are they getting less, but they're actually degrading the information they're getting from all three. And they end up leaving with almost no understanding of what just went down. Yeah. And they might say, yeah, it was fun, or yeah, it was good, or look, yeah, I remember the cool pictures, but there's no depth. And if you want to, influence somebody, they have got to embody that story you were trying to get across to them. So here we are trying to give them so much good information that we've literally hogtied it and made it impossible for them to get any information. Whereas if we would have just pulled it all back and said, okay, what's my core story? What's my core narrative? In this one-hour presentation, in this 20-minute board meeting, I got one idea I'm going to get to you. What is it? And now how do I build everything around that so you can think, listen, pay attention, and embody while we're going through it?
0: Hey friends, you are listening to The Ziegler Show and the information you're getting right now from Jared Cooney Horvath should have you already revising any presentations you have before you or maybe inspiring you to finally put one together and uh, with greatly increased confidence. Well, next, as we talk, I confess how I struggle with this issue of only being able to listen to one voice while trying to organically craft the very episode we're recording here. While he's talking, I'm taking notes on a question that I want to ask or a topic to pursue, and I can't continue hearing him while I type. So it brings this challenge to a head, as interesting as we dig into that, at which we will right after I share some great products and services with you. Well, we're doing a test in this right now. Uh, cuz it's funny. I you know, I hadn't thought about this stuff till so we're doing the show right here. And I craft out kind of the the questions that I have and the the way I want it to, to go. But yeah. I will hear you say something. I'll hear, you know, whoever I'm talking with say something. And I'll go, oh my gosh, I want to talk, I want to ask this, I want to want to go this direction. Well, I'm not my my memory doesn't often, you know, you'll say the next thing and I'll forget about it. So I'm sitting here typing it. So I can take little blips and type out the question while you're still talking yep, yep. and and I'm not multitasking as you say I'm what would you say switch ta- uh, what's its it the term task switching task switching I'm doing that and I can I can come back and not lose myself so I get the question right down and come back and be with you I can't however have listened to what you're saying it said and formulate the next question so now I got to listen and so I'm doing that consistently and it takes a little brain power, but I'm so aware of that. And there have definitely been times during an interview where I'm really hot on, man. I want to remember this thought so I can get to it next. I didn't hear what they're talking about, and then they stop and, and wait for and me to. You're comment, still
1: thinking about the question, dude. I go, don't know what
0: you just said. I'm so sorry. I'm totally enthralled, but and and it's that it's that that perspective of yeah, the multitasking thing. Uh, that
1: we, I love See, what you're doing is that you're ju- you're just playing the rules of the game. This okay. brings me back to that ultimate why is. I, I, I could give you books and books and books on how to present, but once you understand the why, the basic patterns of the brain, how does the brain work to make sense of reality? What are its limits? What are its edges? What are its strengths? What are its weaknesses? You know, those now you can start to play them yourself. And so as much as I like to talk about using these concepts for influence They make the same sense for when it comes to learning. So think about it. Originally, I'm a teacher. So what do I do? I'm more interested in my kids learning than I am about my teaching most of the time. These same principles, when you know how the brain works, not only does that help you become a better teacher, but as a student, it helps you really take ownership of your learning and go, well, I can't do this. I shouldn't do this. So next time you're at a conference, like you just said, if it's time to take notes and it's like, okay, I'm here to learn some stuff you start to recognize that when I'm taking notes, I'm necessarily losing information up here. I can't listen while we're, so anytime I'm going to take notes, I'm going to make sure I'm only taking notes on those very, the things that really resonate, kicked off what I'll call your coder, sparked something that said, "Uh uh-oh, I need that. And I'm going to take that note with the complete recognition that I'm going to lose a little information up here. I'm going to remember this better, but I'm going to lose some here. And that stops you from trying to do the willy-nilly. A lot of people just go in and just start copious note-taking. And I always say, look, you might as well just leave. You're going to remember nothing at the end of this. So just play it a little different. How are you playing your learning game? How are you playing your teaching game? And can you use these rules to kind of enhance how you're doing both?
0: Okay, so from, we've been talking from the us as presenter perspective, yep, yep. in a sense. Now you just talked also about us being aware as the learner, in essence, of what we're doing. How does that pan out? Uh, I was going to say personality style, but not, not, not even that so much as audio visual. I mean, we know that we have people that are, uh, I have a very, very difficult time just hearing something and yep. taking it in. If like my, my family has learned to do that, they'll start to go, oh, daddy, you know, read this. Oh, just read it yourself. They, they've learned that because, because <laughs> otherwise I'll listen to them and go, oh my gosh, man, that was way too much. Can I read it? And oh, okay. Yep, yep. So when we have those types of things, especially if we're in an arena, like a presentation, whether again, it's the boardroom, it's the class, or it yep. is at a Ted talk or whatever of being, how should we be aware of that and utilize that? Knowing whether we're more visual or, or more auditory.
1: And so here's where you, like like you're talking about, you know you're learning preferences. Mm -hmm. And the scary thing is, maybe not scary, but just the normal thing is is that the world doesn't know that. And most people that you're going to learn from aren't aware of that. They don't know your preferences. They don't really know the rules of the game. So there's where you get to step in and say, okay, cool. Here's what I do. Here's what works for me. Now, how do I build my own network or my own process. So no matter where I'm at, I can apply that. So like you did with your family, you know, if anyone's got anything interesting for you, they got to print it out, hand it to you, give you 10 minutes, and then you're going to come back and discuss it with them. Boom, you know that maybe at a board meeting, you won't have that opportunity. So what do you get to do? You get to say, what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up my recorder, or I'm going to take pictures, or I'm going to video this. Now, while I'm here, I'm just going to sit and listen. But the idea is going to be that afterwards I'm going to go back and re-watch this 10 minutes and that's when I'm really going to get my juice. Right. So during the actual presentation, it might not be about deep learning for me because they don't they're going to be going way too fast. So during the actual lesson, maybe what I'll do is just take my two or three notes or I'll wait for the three big things to hit me. And then afterwards I'll go do my deep learning with my recorded material. It's its just cool. You just got to play the game according to how you've got to do it. And the problem is, is the people who don't realize that you can't play that game live sometimes like you're saying like okay you need to read things well if somebody gives me a handout while they're teaching i technically can't read it while they're still teaching and understand both i can get up and leave and now i get to make my decision as a learner okay it's more important for me to get up and leave and read than it is to stay and listen and read later but these are the decisions then you get to make and just recognize that the world isn't going to cater to it unfortunately so the more you know about how you learn cool, just run, run that show, make that work for you. I'm, I'm same as you might. <laughs> so one of the biggest learning principles, and it's one of the biggest teaching principles, influence principles too, is this concept of error. So believe it or not, and we're gonna, we're gonna get a little deep here, so yeah. bear with me. We don't live in the present moment. For instance, right now, you're not actually listening to me. Right now, you're about one to two seconds in front of me simply predicting the words that are about to come out of my mouth and that's how the brain saves energy we live in predictions we have enough experience of the world especially at our age to know how things should be working and so we we, we send this prediction through and so long as the world is close enough to that prediction we just keep living in our prediction without having to engage with reality because engaging in the present moment takes a lot of cognitive juice right so one of the biggest key things you can do is, is what we call errors, is break somebody's prediction. If everyone is expecting the world to go this way and you deviate left or you break something or something fails miserably, like when you're going down the steps and there's one extra step that you weren't ready for and you do that big tumble forward, oh, yeah. in that moment, you don't have a choice. Your coder goes live, your brain zips into the present moment. And in this moment, you will never learn better, easier, faster. Just because every time you screw up, the brain automatically primes itself to say, update, update, update. I don't want to make that mistake again in the future. So here's where we start to say, okay, now we can play errors against one another. How can I get, as a teacher, as a learner, as a teacher, how can I get my students or the people I'm trying to to understand me, how can I break their prediction? How can I get them to screw up to get them into this mode of learning? But as a student now, when I'm in my learning mode, if I can't, if I know I'm going to sit here for an hour, and like you said, I can't actually do my deep learning, how can I wait for those error moments? How can I wait for those feelings of, oh, my prediction just failed? Oh, that visceral bump. And then know that, cool, this is the one thing I need to know right now. Whatever just broke my prediction, that's the one key bit of information I need right and then start to embody what do i need to do over the next 24 hours to play with that so go back to mine now we're talking about kind of learning styles preferences mine is that is i know the only time i'm really going to learn something is if i break one of my old predictions if i think the world should be one thing and somebody says nope it's actually this way and then i also know it takes me about 24 hours to take that in and apply that okay so my my wife and i used to (laughs) whenever we had a disagreement we used to get, as, as spouses do, you'd get into kind of your debate, your shouting debate for a while where it's like, no, I'm right. No, I'm right. And then we stopped doing that about six years ago. And I finally asked her a couple, maybe last year, I said, why, why do you notice we don't debate anymore? And she goes, no, because I figured out how you learn. She said, what I do is when I give you a disagreement, when I disagree with something, all I have to do is tell you once that triggers off your error alarm. And then I just wait for 24 hours. I don't convince you. I don't say anything because I know you'll go away. You'll think about it tonight. You'll meditate over it in the morning. You'll come back tomorrow and you'll tell me why I was right. You'll wow. come back and say no. And, and she just wow. learned that that's how I, and that is very true. That's where I learned that, oh, that is my big pattern, is in the moment of learning there's a discrepancy. I fight hard. But 24 hours later, once I get a chance to actually go home, meditate, think, do my own processes with it, Then I can come back and say, no, I can see why that's right. But in the moment, I'll never hear it because I'm so gung-ho on protecting my own prediction of the world. No, here's how the world is supposed to work, that I can't take it in that quickly. I just need my own time. So now that's where I've built my own system where when I'm learning, I'm learning during class, but I do most of my learning at home that night when I go back over my notes, do my recall sessions, and then really meditate over those things that bothered me and go, okay. Why did that bother me? How does that break my prediction update? Now I'm ready to go forward. So does that, I, it's kind of a long, no, I
0: love, No, know I got a new business idea. Okay. Everybody listening for a thousand dollars per hour, Jared will meet with you and your wife and figure out you know, how you <laughs> tick. And now in your next conflict, you can both nail it, right? Okay. So my, no, my first question, no so do you know your wife's, do you, do you know hers mm-hmm. now? So she's got yours.
1: She's, so my wife, <laughs> I've, I've learned uh, that she's just pretty much right most of the time.
0: <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> okay. That makes that easier. No <laughs> prediction needed. Um, that's just a statement. All right.
1: No, she's, she's sweet like me. She, she, I, she's really easy to read. She's really good at learning. She's, she's kind of like you. Watching you reminds me of her And that you know when she's listening, you know when she's trying. But then when she gets to a saturation point where no more learning is going to occur, you just see her face go totally blank. And that's when you just know, look, anything I say from here on out is going to be totally dead to this woman. It's because she's, she's just hit overload point. And so I've gotten real good at just recognizing her overload And at that point. I just go, cool. You know what? Don't worry about it. We'll come back to it tomorrow. It's all
0: good. I, I, I am like you by the way, and I'll have my wife listen to this show. Uh, so, um, Okay. That aspect of prediction of errors and going one way and then changing it. So Michael Jr. is a comedian yeah. who well, I interviewed and folks, if you haven't heard it, it was show 510. And he literally talked about that as part of his presentation. It wasn't on being a, com- a-, a comic, but he'll talk about that as part of his routine because he'll take you one way and then turn. He'll say, you see what I did there? I was going one way and I went another. He said, it's classic comedy is, is yep. to, hook, to hook people. But on prediction. So I get that. If you're doing a presentation, you're doing a comedy skit, you're doing a performance, but now you mentioned this earlier, as far as the present, uh, the, uh, the PowerPoint slide, and I'm going to yeah. take it to websites and things like th- of that nature, or you talk about it in your book because you deviate from the standard format to make a point, but in those areas, so in one arena, and I'm going to ask you to flesh it out in one arena, the prediction and making an error in it is beneficial in others. We don't, you're saying you don't want to do that. You don't want to take a book and write it in a different way. And I learned that in a very hard lesson a long time ago with websites. And I thought, man, everybody's doing their website the same way. We're going to do it different. And it was a huge failure because people came there and they didn't know where the heck anything was. Nothing that they expected was like it was. We confused them and they're gone. Um, So give us the balance or, or, or the reconciliation of those.
1: So you always got to know, okay, in, in I think advertising websites and advertising are the two best spots to kind of see this game in yeah. action. Yeah. You, you just got to know what it is you're trying to get from your audience in that moment. So the idea being, okay, right now we're doing deep learning, in which case, like we're going deeply into one topic, or I really need you to know all of this. Cool. I'm not trying to break your prediction. I'm trying to to give it to you in the easiest way possible. So you can stick with me free up as much of this as possible. So this go back to PowerPoint, use consistency on each slide because that frees you up to listen to me. So if I'm giving you more and more and more and more ideas, congratulations, I need you here. So I'm not trying to break your prediction. I'm not trying to shock you over here. When I need your attention, that's when I need to break your prediction. If I feel I'm losing you, if I feel someone's not, paying attention or, uh, we're just bleeding away. The, the, the audience is starting to kind of zone out. That's when you do a big prediction break, come in and change something up. And in that moment, you'll jolt them up. And then they go, what the heck just happened? Cool. Let me teach you about that. And now we do 10 minutes of consistency where I can teach you why that error happened, what you, what mistake just happened, why I did that to you. Right. So when you're going deep into learning, there's where, I, if you just keep breaking predictions, people, so go back to the website. This might be an easier example. A website, what you've just done is you've broken maybe 10 different predictions at once without any way of solving each prediction as you break it. Got it. So the layout's different. The buttons are different. The sounds mm-hmm. are different. I don't even know where to start to start reconciling all this. What do I do? I go away. Yeah. But if instead a website breaks one prediction, where are the buttons that are normally on the top? Oh, they're on the side. Oh, prediction break. Now you've got my attention. And now in this moment, you can teach me why you've put the buttons on the side. Or I can learn. I can now go right. through the process to see, oh, look, it's done something different. So you break one prediction, teach me about it. Break another prediction, teach me about it. Break 10 predictions at once, and now you've just totally lost me. Like my right. wife, you'll hit overwhelm, and I'll just go, look, this, ain't, this is way too crazy for me. So advertising. You look at all all the ads that have won, say, the best. So they have, like, the Con Lion Awards. So you know the Con Film Festival? Yeah. In, yeah. Where they – apparently they have the same thing for advertising, which I just learned a couple of years ago, where it's the Con Lion but for commercials. The ones that consistently win are the ones that break one prediction. They'll, they'll do a commercial exactly how you think the commercial should be. It's a car commercial, and the car is driving. And then all of a sudden at the end, there will be a wreck. And it will actually be a commercial for – airbag safety you'd be like oh dang perfect prediction oh i've seen this type of commercial a million times here's some clothes and a dryer then boom something weird will happen those win all the time the ones that always get the worst awards like the razzies of are the ones that break 10 predictions at once it's got people dancing it's got big sing-song number coming up over here it's got a the phone number backwards and it's and it does all these things to grab your attention and it works, but it never reconciles any of it. So you're just left going, the heck was all that about? Yeah. So this is where we, when it's, when it comes time to grab attention, to get people wanting to learn from you, break their prediction. But once you've broken one prediction, then it's time to teach them. You've got about a 10 to 15 minute window where now you get the information across to say, here's why that's wrong. or Here's how I want you thinking differently. Then go to the next one, break that. Boom. And if you think about it, As an organizing principle, let's say you have a one-hour presentation. Now you've got an organizing principle where you can say, my entire job in one hour is to break a prediction, solve it in 20 minutes, break another prediction, solve it, break another, solve it. That gives me three chunks. So at the end of this one-hour session, there are three things I want you to learn. I'm going to break a prediction, solve it three times, and you're going to leave with three key bits of information. And all of a sudden, all those graphs and charts and the millions of data points you're trying to get across... They largely become meaningless because now we have our our narrative. There's three major things. I'm going to break it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to break it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to break it. I'm going to fix it. And when people leave, they're going to remember those three massive things as opposed to the 50 million things you tried to cram in there. So it also serves as an organizing principle for how are we thinking about presenting? How are we thinking about teaching? How are we building the narrative? What chunks are we using to build the story
0: well, and, you know, I have, um, well, unless somebody else has read the book that's listening, I have a leg up here because I, I went through and studied the book. I'm getting the spirit here. A couple of things uh, have come to mind. You know, one is on the messaging. Well, you know, I, I want to speak. We have so many people who are coach, consultants, speakers, salespeople, yada, yada. And, you know, to them, I mean, you've given us some big chunks of, relevant information, but it brings me back even to the best speakers. And you you said something to this effect earlier, the best speakers that I know they have their signature speech and that's generally what they do. And you hear them do it. Now you hear, hear them doing it five years. You hear it doing it uh, here. I'm doing it again. And we need that. Uh, we, we don't need new information. We need to hear that over and over. It reminds me of Seth Godin, who famously talked about listening to Zig Ziglar's See You at the Top 70-plus times and how it changed his life. And yet, I think as creators, we want more information, more information, more information, which is so tempting, which you talked about. We want to put all this... I, I'm that guy. Man, if it's important, I can write a novel about it. And you're saying, oh, you chill out, man. Uh, come back to this. But, but back to the spirit of this which we're trying to get the get the gist of. I'm getting it, all right? So I'm thinking out loud here.
1: I'd love to th- throw it out.
0: Well, cuz you know, even even the learning styles of if I want to go Uh, maybe do some sightseeing and do a a cross-country trip. Or I live in Colorado, man. You drive through here and it's the mountains and the the glory, you'll be inspired and whatnot. But if I want to think on an idea, that is not where I want to be. I want to drive through Kansas where it's dead up flat. I don't have to use any (laughs) cognitive ability. It's one of those things where you've been driving 30 minutes and go, oh my gosh, I have no cognizance of where I just drove. (laughs) But I just got some of the best thinking done in my life. Two totally different uh, perspectives, desire,
1: wildly predictable Yes. versus wildly unpredictable. And what happens is you get to think in prediction land because there's where your learning's happening versus attend in unprediction land, because that's where you're going, Oh, what's, what's going on? How do I fix this? What's what's next? Ooh, I love that. I'm
0: enamored though. Just with, if I am presenting, if I am talking and if I'm, even if I'm writing, uh, which I hadn't really thought about in the context of just writing. That uh, if I go too long with just predictive narrative, as you said, yep, I'm yep. probably going to bore people. Um, and yet, if I come and blow them away, yeah, your your uh, analogy of the ads. I uh, sometimes have watched the Super Bowl just to see the ads, just to see what's yep, happening yep. in pop culture. I had my kids watch it. Said, guys, this is a lesson in pop culture. And some of the ads were so outlandish. Um, we could not remember who the company was the next day. And yet it was, if they yep.
1: broke all your predictions for all the wrong reasons. And you go, that was a weird commercial. Right. I didn't learn anything. I yeah. didn't fix anything. I didn't, it was just weird. But then think, remember two years ago when the Tide ads were coming on during the Super Bowl, Okay. when it, it would look like just a regular commercial for yeah. say steak. And then that dude would come on and say, it's a Tide ad. <laughs> Yeah. And everyone would have clean clothes. And, and they just kept doing it. Best example of a prediction break. They just had a commercial that looked like a beer commercial. There's some horses with a buggy in the fields, and then the camera would pan over and it'd just be the same guy standing there. And you go, This is a tie-dad. Boom. And it just kept, it was one prediction break again and again and again to the point where. That, I think that one won the con line for best ad that year uh-huh. because it, by the end of the Super Bowl, every time you saw a commercial, you were thinking, is this another Tide ad? Is this another Tide ad? It got you doing the work, and now all of a sudden you recognize, Goodness, by I breaking didn't. my prediction, you just built a new one, which is every commercial is a Tide commercial. Thanks for giving me this new idea. And it's weird. It's, it comes up now. It's It's been years, and I'll still be watching a commercial on TV and think to myself, is this a Tide commercial? <laughs>
0: Did not conceive of that.
1: Built a whole new. So this is what I like too. So go back now. When you break somebody's prediction, like I said, what happens is the the brain, the body goes into learn mode. You will never learn faster, easier, better than you will in that moment after a prediction's been broken. Right. Which is our sweet spot now Mm. as influencers, as teachers. Is if I can break your prediction, I've got myself ten to fifteen minutes to help you build a brand new prediction. This is I'll I'll never Mm. find an easier moment to slot some new ideas some new thinking into you than then, and that's what what the tide ad did break a prediction tide break a prediction tide break a prediction tide to the point where my new prediction is everything must be tied dang it i don't want that as my prediction but that is yeah. my new baseline prediction um game of thrones if you ever watched that i don't want to did you watch
0: it i haven't I, i'm one of the only people oh. on planet who hasn't well you're
1: anyone who's listening to this will yeah, know tell them they they started, I, well, I won't give you the big secret, but season one, episode nine, if you've watched the show, you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. They did the biggest prediction break I've ever seen on TV. They just, they set up, we're setting up a perfect show here. There's dragons, boop. They break your prediction. And then they did it again in season two. Then they did it again in season three. And it got to the point where the new prediction was, when are they going to do this thing? And I, I, I'm not, in case you haven't seen it, you don't know what I'm talking okay. about. But the reason why the last two seasons were so disappointing to people was because they didn't live up to that prediction anymore. We were expecting this to happen. And then they went back to the old prediction, which is just knights and fairies and dragons and whoop de doo It's like, no, no, no. You guys built a whole new narrative, a whole new way of understanding how stories can work. Stick with it. Go with it. You just helped me build a new prediction of how w- the world can work. And then they reverted back and they stopped doing it themselves. And it was like, ah, uh, and that's why the audience just got angry with them. They broke our prediction. They built a whole new prediction, a whole new system in us. And then they stopped playing with that new system. And it was, it was embarrassing. It was such a lesson.
0: It's, so is this literally, as you look at movies, which I love the context of that, um, I'm a fan of Donald Miller. Uh, he talks about in his book a uh, million miles and a thousand years as he was studying and he's he's making a commentary on life but he's saying yeah. what makes a good story what makes a good life and he goes back to movies and he comes out with this formula that he was he was taught by you know some of the greats in the in the movie industry you know it's about a character a good movie about a character who wants something And overcomes conflict to get it, and he makes some really funny analogies. Of you know, can you imagine a story where you know somebody came along, they wanted something, and the next day they got it? Well, who cares? Uh, Woo, woo, yeah. (laughs) But but yours uh, here, I I see this as a part. What are the ones we love, man? Like kind of back to Michael Jr. talking about the the comedy routine when it goes a different direction and we're whoa, we're blown away. And then, right, then they reconcile that, if I can use it, if that's the correct word. I mean, they reconcile that. They they help you understand it. Oh, my gosh, your mind is blown.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply.
1: Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: Okay, all right. It's it's so much to take in.
1: Then you have a new prediction about how the world should work. Right. And all of a sudden, now you can play in this new world, which is what one of the best things of, of being a teacher, of being an influencer is, is once I can get this new prediction in you, then I can build on that. Yeah. Now, so long as I keep playing in that prediction, I can keep adding new things to that work. Oh, and I can keep blowing your mind again and again and just bringing you further and further. But like you said, so long as I don't lose the original learning. Yeah. So if I, if I only listen to it once... And you break my prediction once, and that's all I've ever seen of it, meh, I'll probably go back to my old prediction. So I've got to just keep building on those prediction breaks. And like the good, great speakers, don't be afraid to come back to the same points again and again and again. If you take, um, if you take a master's program with me over at uni, I always say the first week we do what's called, I say, get your mind right. And we're gonna, we learn about the basics of how does the brain, the most basic foundation of how the brain makes sense of reality. How does the brain process the world? And I say this might sound – and it, it's mind-boggling because it's different than most people assume. Go back to this idea of predictions. It's that. Is we, we tend to say to assume that the world comes in our senses, triggers off the brain, and that's kind of how reality works. And now we know that that's just not the case. At any one time, the brain is using its experiences, its memories, its prediction, its understanding to build predictions and send signals back to change how we taste, see, feel, hear things. Right. The story is driving our perception, not vice versa. And I I bring that up in the first week of of uni, and I say, now you're going to get sick of this, but everything we do from here on out is going to build back on this. And there's not a week that goes by that I, whatever we're learning, if we're learning about memory, if we're learning about um, attention networks, if we're learning about the learning trajectory, if we're learning about recall." Everything at some point, I will throw back to that very first lesson. And I'll say, now, remember the top-down processing. Remember our stories. Remember our narrative. How does this relate to that? I break their prediction. I build a new prediction. And then I keep repeating that prediction as I build new things on top of it throughout. And by the end of uni, you have a whole new way of understanding the world. Because I see, you heard the same things maybe 50 times. But each time I just added the next little brick on top of it. and Now you've got a whole new prediction that's solid, that didn't feel fake, that didn't feel worked, that I just kept playing the learning game, just kept breaking the next prediction, adding it to the last one. And ladies and gentlemen, we have ourselves a new way of seeing the world.
0: A new way of seeing the world. And I want to come back to, I mean, ultimately, what is the takeaway? I mean, everybody listening, myself included, we've had times, whether again, whether it's with, with family, with, you know, with kids with students, with employees, with coworkers, with whoever, uh, with an audience that we are trying to communicate. We have something that we truly believe has value, we truly believe can help someone and give them a solution to a problem or a, a solution to a desire. And we yeah. communicate and we come away frustrated with why did they not get it? Why did I not get a standing ovation for that message? Or why did my kid obviously lose interest, you know, two seconds <laughs> in, or why, or here's the common par- parental thing. Why am I repeating myself? Haven't we talked about this? Well, obviously you've <laughs> talked about it and it has not been heard. You did a poor job and that's what, I mean, honestly, Jeremy, it was just, I felt like it's such a match. the book, you did such a masterful job. Uh, I'm going to have to go study it. Uh, and I say that in a good way. It's like getting an MBA in communication, but I mean, this is my, I was gonna say, this is my job. It's as going back to what you said, we're all influencers. Uh, yep. what Zig said, we're all in sales. This is everybody's job. And yet how often, when have we been intentional in understanding what makes people listen? What makes people learn? You just mentioned, um, recall and this is towards the end of your book maybe the second to last chapter or so or so of saying okay what and i thought about just we we homeschool our kids you know and you have them do this and then you have them review what you talk about which is a shallow aspect of it we need them to recall that And and i thought about again how are we missing it in our everyday teaching, we want to we want to bestow. I'm going to put this in an altruistic yeah. word. Bestow something, and we're failing it because we have not learned how to do it. That's what you are giving us here.
1: And then it, it goes back to the very beginning where it's, it's – it's it's just a set of rules it's a set of mechanisms the way we all think no one has a special brain we all have different brains but no one has a magical brain so the underlying rules of the brain are the same for everyone we all learn the same we all have different preferences we all have different styles fine but the underlying learning process is the same for everyone yeah. once you learn those rules then you can just start playing those rules, gaming those rules in everything you do, and so go, go to something like Recall, right? And P.S. I was I was going to say, did you talking about all this prediction stuff? Now you've noticed. Go back to the book; you'll notice the first section of every chapter. So each chapter has one idea. Yeah. The first section of each chapter is a prediction break. Uh huh. Yeah. I'll either give you a story that ends totally wonkily. And I'll say, now we're going to come back to that at the end. I'll solve it in there some point, or I'll give you a quiz that won't make sense to you, or I'll make you do something. And then I don't tell you right away why I did no, that. Uh, no, I want to tell you, I
0: almost got frustrated a couple of times. I'm like skipping ahead going, what is the answer to this stupid thing? Cause it's bothering the heck out of me. I, I literally did that a couple of times. I skipped ahead and go, I'm going figure, to figure out what she did or what happened here. Or why did I miss those five questions? What do you mean? We have, you know, how, how many senses do we have? I know this answer and you're telling me I'm wrong. Okay. Anyways. Yeah.
1: So this it's now you get it. What I'm doing is breaking your prediction at the beginning of the chapter, feeding in in information, and then we come back and we've built a new prediction. Cool. So going out to recall, one of the, and this is a, when it comes to say memory, we've always thought, okay, what leads to a deep lasting memory? And there are Mm -hmm. a a number of of important things. So emotion can help. Narrative can definitely help. Repetition can definitely help. But it turns out, what's the underlying secret? Because there's tons of emotional things or unemotional things that I don't remember or that I do. I've gotten in tons of emotional fights that I couldn't tell you about now. I've had first kisses I really couldn't tell you about. Those had to be emotional. They're gone. Uh, I've had totally unemotional things like the Tide ad. There's no emotion there, but I remember it. So what's the big nug? What's the secret? And it turns out the the big secret to memory, took us a while to figure it out, was it has everything to do with what you said, recall, accessing a memory. Every time you pull a memory out, that memory becomes deeper, stronger, better. It's not about how it goes in, keep shoving it in. It's about how are you taking it out and using it? The more I can get you to think about something the deeper that memory goes, the more I can get you. So, so now as teachers, what we do, this is why think back to when you were a student, we always have say jigsaws where you have to teach the student next to you, or you have to help the class before you do something, or you now have to present what we're doing is we're getting you to yank that information out because that helps you understand it better. So when it comes to now learning, teaching and, and influence, if you've got a one hour Prezzo, fine. The, you can embed some recall in that but then the big question comes what have you built into that that over the next couple of days people are forced to pull that information back up what can you do i don't know if that means sending out emails in the next couple of days or finding embedding things in the next couple of weeks anything that forces the people to pull that information out that's when it gets deep so if you think the best the best example of this was McDonald's, was it the late 70s, early 80s, two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, That's cheese, it. pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Yeah. Go to, it, it, they come out with this song and they say, if you go to any of your local McDonald's and sing that song perfectly, we'll give you a free Coke. Congratulations. What did they just do? They made me do the work for them. Mm-hmm. So now I sing that song. And every time I sing it, that memory is getting deeper because I'm recalling it. Now I'm going to the store, singing it, getting my free Coke, whoop de doo problem is i got my free coke 20 years later i still remember that song why because i recalled it recalled it recalled Mm -hmm. it and that's so what are we doing to help people pull that information out and that's what's really going to make it stick over the next couple days weeks it's it's a sad fact i was thinking about when you're talking about your kids and how we have to repeat all the time sad fact of memory is we forget 80 percent of everything we learn every day yeah It's just because in order to build a memory, you have to do what's called consolidation. You have to lock that memory down into your brain. That process happens when you sleep. Unfortunately, we don't sleep near enough to lock everything down in a day. So we just tend to ditch about 80% of things. (laughs) So what can I be doing? Here's where recall comes in. How can I make that 20%? be the information i want you to form a memory about and not something random how can i get my information to be the 20 percent that you're going to remember recall if i get you to do something with it if i force you to pull it up over the next couple days now you consolidate it every night and all of a sudden when you think back to my presentation the one key bit you remember is this one idea i had you sing 50 times is this one thing i you had to write about is this one thing you had to draw a picture about and i did that on purpose i did that because i wanted you pulling that information out. Cause that's the one memory I want you to have. So you're gaming the system. You know how it works. You play the rules and all of a sudden people are remembering things you want them to and not the flipping stuff.
0: Well, and you just spoke to, I mean, here I am in the, you know, personal development industry publishing multiple podcasts per week. And yet with the realization that most of us, all of us would be better off to cut all of our intake, probably by about, a t- about nine tenths. And study and recall and learn because we're letting so much, as you said, what 80% or more just go in and out and in and out. And I, I am, Jared, man, I am blown away at my own propensity to hear, understand and comprehend, comprehend yeah. some of the most brilliant, uh, intelligent information ever. And then a week later, if not a day, I, nothing changed. Nothing changed. I did not I did not embed that in here. And so I, I do want folks to hear this. I mean, you're talking about this is how the brain works. This is science. This is how learning works. This is how memory works. And we are not, if we're not aware, we are, we're kind of like the uh, the teacher in the old uh, Peanuts, you know, shows wah, 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 <laughs> wah, 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 to our kids, to our family, even to our audience sometimes. And even if they laugh, doesn't mean, are they going to learn? Are they going to walk away? with anything. And it made me think about, you know, if we saw a pitcher get on a mat or a kid who's going out to to pitch and he stands totally sideways, takes his arm and you can see me, nobody else can, but take, you know, takes his arm, takes the ball kind of by his head. And then as best he can lobs it, you know, to the, to the, to the side. I mean, it's going to go 10 feet. and You're going to go, everybody your grandma knows better than that. She's going to go, no, 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 (laughs) Sonny, you know, step back, get your body right. Do this. We not. So you're saying, look, if you want people to hear you, and if you want to hear, learn, memorize, comprehend, retain, this is how the brain works. I mean, again, I, I they want, we always want to say there's nothing new under the sun. Maybe this has been told. I sure have not heard it. And from a brain standpoint of saying this is just how the brain works, it's one of those books you read. It's kind of like reading Dave Ramsey's stuff on finances. You read it, and it's not rocket science. You, you just go, duh, that totally makes sense. I've lived that yeah. and experienced that. That's what I felt half the time. I've gone, oh, man, I've seen that 100 times, Jared.
1: Best thing – best thing, I always tell the teachers I work with, if, if anyone today says, oh, that's why we always do blank or, oh, that's why that kid – you know this stuff. There's, like it, It's not rocket science. It's just most people have never put it into words. Yeah. They've never got the mechanism. And once you shine a light on it, on that behavior, and you go, oh, that's why I always do blank. That's why I always remember this and not this. Now you can play with it. Once you see it in the, in the light of day and you get the mechanism – Then it's yours to do whatever you want with.
0: I have two questions. I'm going to kind of jump off tangent just a tad, but I'm going to go back to storytelling because that is one that, and the folks listen to this show, it comes up so often with every guest that I, every, with many guests is is the power of storytelling. We were hearing that. And I, for one, am admittedly not, uh, I have not crafted myself well to be a good storyteller. I tend to be the bullet points and whatnot. And on one hand, we're not all going to become, you know, Garrison Keeler and, 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 beautiful storytellers tell- at the dinner table and go, well, let me tell you a story and just enrapture everybody. <laughs> but if we're going to utilize what you're saying, this is how the brain works better to retain better yep, is yep. to tell it in story. <sighs> I don't even know how to a- answer. Ask the question. I mean, are, are there some key aspects that we can say? Look, instead of just telling it like you normally do, or having a couple bullet paint points, how can we frame a basic conversation to give some story? And I, I don't, I don't, maybe too in depth to even ask because I think most people are also thinking about what about my website? I mean, we just yep, you yep. have such a finite amount of time. You know, people are going to be hooked uh, initially and interested right away or not. And I could say the story five different ways and. Uh, so I don't know. I'll just, I'll throw that mess to you. Oh,
1: no, I love it. So, oh my goodness. Oh, this is good stuff. Um, <laughs> the best. So at the end of the day, what makes a narrative? There are two key things a narrative has to have. The first is cause and effect. Okay. So nothing in a narrative happens without a reason. It, everything happens because something perpetuated it. This okay. because of this. Now, believe it or not, that's a natural pattern of the brain. So if you think about when we dream, have you ever tried to explain a dream to somebody the next day when you woke up and you're like so excited. And as soon as you start talking about it, you're like, Oh, this is bad. Yeah. This isn't going, Oh, abort mission. This is (laughs) it's because in the light of days, dreams are nonsense. And when you start talking about it, you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. But when you're asleep and in a dream makes perfect sense because the brain is naturally building a cause and effect. Of course you're on the mountain and then swimming, with horses and then taking a test in the nude cuz that's the way the world is supposed to work the brain drawing a cause and effect right natural pattern of the brain that's a natural feature of any narrative difference between a narrative and say a poem or prose is there's a cause and effect an event happens because an event happens so the more you can find that cause and effect in whatever it is you're trying to teach congratulations you're already well on your way to helping people build a better understanding of it it's not just isolated facts it's this because of this because of this because of this and here's your through line the next thing narrative has is um, emotional valence characters don't just do things cause and effect they also feel ways while they're doing it and there's those feelings change as they go through that cause and effect change change so if you think back to dreaming there's no dream that's unemotional. Every dream is wildly emotional. Again, it's just a natural pattern of the brain to assign an emotion to an event. So the more now you can find emotions within whatever narrative you're trying to, to build. So here's where you go, okay, I've got X amount of facts I need to teach. What's my cause and effect? How do they link up? And then by assigning emotion to it, what does that mean? Here's where I find what I'd call my exemplar story. Is there somebody that's walked through this path before that I can use as my touch point to show emotions as we go through? Is there um, a way I can get you to feel things as I keep breaking your prediction as we move to the next step in the cause and effect chain? Can I get you to feel a certain way, whether that's comedy, laughter, fear, surprise at these moments, at these facts? Because believe it or not, (laughs) people say, well, some things lend themselves to story narrative better than others. No, everything, every single thing you could ever want to teach anyone, at some point, it didn't exist. And then one day later, it did exist. Somebody invented it. Somebody discovered it. Somebody figured it out. There's your story. In that story of discovery is your cause and effect emotional valence. What impact did this have that people figured these things out? So the more you can narratize, the more you can find a cause and effect, and then the more you can assign emotional valence. What happens is it's this thing called neural synchrony. So when you're telling a narrative, a coherent story of facts, it doesn't matter if it's Marvel superhero movies, uh, dates from World War II to chemical equations. If you're doing it in a narrative style, what happens is your audience starts to sync with you. If I can measure your audience's brainwaves and yours, they would look incredibly similar. In this moment, they're not just learning from you. They're learning like you. They are in, they're predicting everything you're about to say. They're with you. And people will never learn better than they will in that neural synchrony moment. And how does it, it, we've never seen it happen when we're teaching just facts. We've never seen it happen when we're just showing graphs, trying to get facts across or information. We've only seen it happen during narrative. And so this is where we keep coming back to this idea of one of the most power, not only is narrative, the natural patterning of the brain, but it seems to lead to this sinking that to be honest, we can't explain at this point. It's one of those creepy. What did Einstein used to say? Creepy action at a distance things where we can't find the mechanism by which it happens. But for whatever reason, when we're in the zone with our audience and you can feel it, you've given presentations where you feel like you just got the room. I trust me. If I could take a picture of their brain and yours, that feeling is a real thing. They're thinking like you in that moment. They're predicting like you, they're breaking predictions. They're ready for you to do whatever you do. And that only happens with narrative. So the more you can find that narrative, if it's an example, exemplar story, you building a narrative yourself, an origination story, whatever it's got to be, there's where you're going to get your audience going with you.
0: Gosh. Okay. It it just, yeah, it makes, I'm, I'm sitting here pondering this, if I'm sitting there telling facts, let's just say I'm on the stage, I'm telling facts, they can be pretty randomized. Or even if I think they're sequential, it's still new information. People are hearing it. There's no narrative. So am I correct in saying when we have narrative, when we are telling a story, a cause and effect, it allows people to be predictive. Otherwise I'm taking that ability away and they're sitting there as a blank slate and we could just only, is that where we get the idea of, you know, people can only handle like, handle like 20 minutes, uh, uh, yeah. stuff like that. But are you saying now if you give a good enough narrative, they can last a lot longer, which is, I mean, Zig used to give, st- he talked sometimes well beyond an hour, but yeah. we all know he was, sto- nothing came outside of a story.
1: And think- that's in the, there it is okay. for all the people who say technology's killing our kids attention span these days. No, no, it's absolutely not. The last Marvel movie was three hours, and it's one of the biggest moneymakers of all time. Why? Because it's once you're in the narrative, trust me, now you're playing the the reason why we're losing attention is because we've lost narrative in a lot of things. Most games, most phone apps, most uh, all the news sites now are so gung-ho on quick information that there's zero narrative. It's like, here's what the guy said. This actor said this today. Boop doop doop. And they've lost any sense of narrative. So, of course, I'm just going to pay attention for two minutes and be like, well, that was enough of that. And it just goes in one. Who is Steven Pinker. I think I, I say this in the book. Steven Pinker, guy I used to work with. Brilliant. If you haven't read his stuff, so smart. Totally disagree with half of it, but this is the fun <laughs> of science. All we do is disagree with one another. Yay. Uh, but he says isolated facts in the brain are like websites on the Internet without links. They're essentially useless. They might as well not exist. you can't narratize it, tie it into a story, they're going nowhere. They're going in the brain, they're going out the brain because they're pointless to people. So what's your story? And this brings us back then to what are my three main, like if I'm going to teach, what's my one main point or my two main points? And then you just build that narrative through that. You don't hide from that fact. You say, here are the two things you're going to learn today. And then you narratize the heck around that and you just keep swinging back into it. Now, remember that thing we were talking about earlier, do you see how it starts to bleed back into this? Right. And so okay. I, it's, it's again, it may be easier said than done, but I don't know. I, I always feel like, like on a, right now we're just having a conversation, but I feel like if I got to sit down and think about any of these topics, I could find that narrative pretty quick. It'd take me some work, but I could find a narrative in anything and then use that to teach it.
0: Well, easier said than done, regardless, even for somebody like me, where I, I, I literally have to take, like you said, here are the points that I want to get across. Here are the primary points on the website, in the book, in the article, in the show that I want to keep coming back to and, uh, how, or that I want, I want people to, to engage with to digest. Yeah. How do I put those in a narrative? And like you said, there always is a narrative. And often it's our own story. Just like I said that to you, I was curious, what's the yeah. narrative of you? How do you go into, uh, you know, doctoral work and teaching whatever and end up writing a book on this specific thing? Cause you could have taken this a lot of different directions and you yeah, told yeah. us the narrative of your own experience.
1: And that's, that's, I think you nailed it. Your story. If you can't find a narrative in something, there was a day when you didn't understand this stuff. yeah. And then there was a day when you did, and there's a reason why you're teaching it. There's your narrative. Use your own story if you have to, to weave this in, to show how the pieces fit together and how it moves you to this point where now other people can learn with you.
0: You know what? I, I, I will ask selfishly, just on, on yeah. my own, because I, I mean, I, I am, of course, I, I fit into all this. Uh, perfectly. I adore a great movie that takes me someplace that makes me feel something, especially if there's some redemptive quality, even if the redemption is just makes me feel, you know, good in a sense, or makes me ponder. So I do love story. I though, and I, I just want those who may be like me to reconcile, uh, when you're in conversation and they're going, Oh my gosh, somebody's going to, here they go. It's going to be a 20 minutes. Will you just <laughs> tell me the point, uh, of that. Um, reconcile those. Cause those are two different things because I, I am absolutely a lover of story. I, I read, uh, I do read fiction sometimes as well too. And I love getting in a good story. And yet on a conversational standpoint, I'm often find myself impatient with that. Where's the cutoff?
1: It's it, know what it is you're trying to achieve. So in, in, in a two hour movie or a, five, a 1200 page book, they're not just giving you one narrative what they're doing is they're playing all these other rules they're breaking predictions every 20 pages they're switching gears every 50 words or if you look at a marvel movie they keep throwing in spanners into the Mm -hmm. works here and there and then they bring in a new bit of information they're not just playing straight narrative they're playing the bigger thinking learning game where it's how am i playing how am i playing your recall how am i playing your predictability how am i playing your coder all these things so the narrative is a piece of the global puzzle and it's done for learning. And when we know we're learning, we're happy with it. In a conversation, typically a, <laughs> we're not learning. I, I rarely do, I go to a uh, sure. cocktail party cause I want to learn something. Right. I, so if somebody's starting, I'm like, no, no, this is a more, a social interaction. This isn't a, you teaching me moment. So I naturally You're will start true. to get turned off. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: But even then what tends to happen in those kind of like <laughs> party narratives Is They have one point. It has nothing to do with learning. They have one point, and they're not playing any of the other cards. They're not building predictions, tweaking your predictions. There's no synchrony. It's just some dude flapping on about what his wife bought for dinner last week. And you're like, gosh darn it.
0: Well, and I I just – I'm thinking here, and you're you're always saying it's also just interest because when I go – to listen to you. I'm going, because I want this information. So I'm, I'm enraptured with that. When my kid comes up to tell me about, you know, the, that's the the meme you see with parents, you know, tell you about their, their video game or something like that. Oh my yep, gosh, yep. please kill me. And and I've gotten to the point now we're going, look, buddy, I, I love you. I have no idea what you're talking about. Just, you know, tell you, tell your brothers or something like that. Uh, so that, that that makes a big difference in there, but yes, story. Uh, I just, we keep hearing that and hearing that and hearing that that's another thing, just like communication, uh, overall that are we engaging with it? And I hear the, I hear it's coming around. I don't see the changes coming around as much though. We're back to the Super Bowl ads and stuff. And I, it's so interesting. The last year we did watch, we're not big sports folks for the most part at this point, but we watched it just for the pop culture aspect. And I felt like from years past when I had seen him and it seemed like There were these big, outrageous uh, shows that they seemed pretty low key relative to those. And I wondered if people learned they didn't get the response they wanted and they did seem to be more story and how amazing that they could build that story in whatever, you know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, I guess was, was the majority of the ads or like you're talking about, they would give you one ad and then come back. 20 minutes later with a continuation and it brings us on in there. It's brilliant. I I force you to
1: do the work. And I was thinking too, this a good narrative also forces recall because what are you more likely? So take game of Thrones again. I've only watched the show once, but I could tell you pretty much everything there is to tell you about that show. Why? Because I've done so much recall talking with people about it, debating, debating it with my friends, uh, having, parties where we talk about what do you think is going to happen next who's going to be the next character to do this ah and that's all forced recall which is why i have these wildly deep memories right so can we also use that narrative how do you build things around and i'm just thinking out loud now because then take like the marvel movies where i'll enjoy it i'll watch captain america and it's like that was great but i never talked about it never thought about it so i really couldn't tell you anything about it mm-hmm. now and i watched it probably a week ago So how then do you build maybe a, I don't know, culturally, cultural relevance whereby people have to talk about, leave it on a cliffhanger, leave something unanswered Mm -hmm. that keeps people discussing it. And in that is the recall, which is helping them embed everything that came before it. Well, there's the
0: benefit of the, of the series. I mean, back when I'm old, I'm 48. So I'm old enough to remember back when we just had TV, you know, even, even (laughs) pre-cable. And everybody's watching the show, you know, Dallas or whatever the show was back then. And you got, everybody got to see that show that day, or that evening, that's it. And they left it on this spot. And that's what you're talking about for the rest of the week, waiting till the next one comes because there's no binge watching back then. And it was brilliant, and we don't – I think back to the movies like you're talking about where the big blockbuster movie comes out and how often – and i got to admit, I saw Captain America and so many of these Marvel and all the superhero stuff. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times, man, it's entertaining in the moment. I could not tell you one thing the next day. Uh, there's, there's been a couple of the Avengers one that just has some really funny lines. I don't know how many times my kids uh, make fun of somebody what they're wearing. Doth mother know you weareth her robes? You know, it was the funniest scene. We we rewound that and looked at that multiple times, but it's not yeah entertaining even. And so let's go back to the tangibility or the the relevance of us on stage. Uh, well, you know, Zig Ziglar talks about this. He realized how he how good he was at making people laugh. But he said, they don't always remember that. So I can make them laugh yeah, for an yeah. hour. Did they learn anything? And he had to Did tone it down. And he, so he, I think he used the laughter as maybe an, an emotional hook, you know, to, to kind of wake them up, get them there and then go yep. on to the next thing. And he often started his talks with kind of a funny story though. It would make a point. And then he would talk about that for the next, whatever, 15, 20 minutes and he would have another story. Uh,
1: and then use kind of like the give me give me a hook and then give me some teaching and yeah. then give me a hook yes. and then give me, you know it's it's yeah. uh, oh, I oh what was I oh I just got a, a really interesting connection oh no was it about the Marvel oh yeah no is the TV stuff oh we I actually I forgot about this I did a research study a couple of years ago on binge watching we oh. people had to come into the lab and some people actually binge watched. a show so we imagine sitting in a lab just watching tv for six hours and getting paid for it it was magic and then some people came in and they did daily where they'd watch one episode a day and some people watched one episode a week Mm -hmm. and lo and behold with memory the memory of the people who did one a day or one a week was so much stronger than people who did binge watching like ridiculously the people who binge watched the next day remembered a ton and by a week later, what I 80% was just gone. There was just nothing left for them. Interesting. But the people who did daily doses or weekly doses, because they had to recall before they'd watch the next episode, they'd be like, wait, who was that guy again? They'd have to do that mm-hmm. work on the fly. That makes the memories deeper. And so now I'm thinking to ourselves, okay, perfect example of let's take that. They also, by the way, just – a secondary finding on that was the people who binge watch actually enjoyed the show significantly less than the people who did nightly or weekly wow. which is why after we did that study um netflix it got a lot of traction in netflix and hbo and all those because hbo was still doing weekly they still do netflix was doing the binge and now the hulu and the amazons are using that kind of research to say well wait a second maybe we need to go back to scheduled tv so wow. people have time to actually talk yeah. about, digest, build a story around it rather than just get it in, get it out. But Interesting. how can we – perfect example of we see this information. How do we then pull out the nuggets and apply that to our real life? Here's where we see, okay, if all I got is one hour with people. I can't be cramming in, I I just can't. The best you're gonna do is one or two bits of information. So how do I ensure you get the right two bits of information? But if I do have an opportunity to do weekly board meetings or I always have a chance, we do lab meetings every Monday where I can keep building on, now I can play with your memory. So long as I force a recall of the last week, I can then build on it this week. And now I can sustain your learning and build deeper stories, deeper memories throughout. So you kind of take this knowledge and go, okay, how much time do I have with the people I'm trying to learn with, my students, my audience? How is that blocked up? And then how can I play memory accordingly? What types of things can I build in mm-hmm. there to make this work, to turn this into not a binge session,
0: yeah, into Wh- a weekly? It makes a great case for – something for, for a, a reason, let's say, let's say for those of you who are on stage, for those of us who, who do stuff on stage, obviously we, we generally want some kind of call to action so we can yeah. get that person's information, follow up with them later how great would this be a message on stage to say, well, according to Dr. Jared Harvath, uh, you're not going to retain this stuff. We're going to help oh. you give us your email address and we're not going to pump you full of promos, but we're going to give you the highlights that will bring this back to you over and, and then over. start
1: building recall into it. The, what I, what I've been doing recently is if I get to do one session with teachers, two days later, I'll send them a short video where I'm reha- like you just said, rehashing the top bits. Yep. Here we go. Yep. Five days after that, I then send them another thing where it's just a picture of the top five bits and they have to recall as much as they can about each of the, here are your five major topics, what do you remember from each? Do that, a week later do the same, congratulations, watch as their memory starts to soar because now we've built in repetition and recall. We didn't just keep putting it back in, we made them do something with it. Pull it out, teach it to somebody else, draw a picture, send it back to us. And there's a reason for us doing it. Believe it or not, I actually, most of the, anytime I have to talk at a conference, it sounds flippant, but I'll start, I'll say, here's a graph of what you're going to remember from this conference over the next week. Wow. And it just drops and it goes, we can all pretend it's not going to be the case, but sorry, that's the case. So how are we going to get the best out of what we're about to do?
0: Okay. Well, everybody, so for your own good, for your recall, first, (laughs) go get the book, Stop Talking, Start Influencing right now. (laughs) Uh, and, uh, but this is a, as we all know, this is one to listen to again. You may be listening in your car at your working out or whatever, but this is a great one to sit down with pen and paper and get these highlights out, man. I I could talk about this for two hours. You know what I'll have to say right now, I'm looking at the timeline. We've been talking for an hour 15. I, I, it's been years since I've gone that long, but I couldn't find a place <laughs> to stop it. And I still have stuff here. You know what? Get the book, folks. Listen to this again. Maybe we'll, uh, well, as folks know, uh, we'll, we'll do more of this uh, with you. Jim. I love and it. And thank you for all yours. It. We got a lot more to do. All right. Thanks for bringing this uh, to us. And uh, again, just the book was, the book was just brilliant. Thanks for the way that you did it. And uh, I, I'm excited. You've given me, as always, I get to be the chief student. So thank you. Yeah.
1: No, thank you for having me on. This was great.
0: Wow. I mean, this is just some of the most actionable advice that we've had on the show. I've already given away my copies of Jared's book and ordered more. Again, it's called Stop Talking, Start Influencing, 12 Messages from Brain Science to Make Your Message Stick, which you can find on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Coming up in episode 732, the very real pride and shame of our character. This is interesting, folks. In the episode, I play a clip from Zig Ziglar on the power of words, the words we speak with and about other people. Then I posted a question on Facebook that actually went a different direction. I asked, if you were daily being recorded in secret, what would you be proud of and what would you be embarrassed by? I was literally thinking about our spoken words, you know, what we say out loud to others or in private. Many of the replies, however, addressed, they did address this, but the common thread also included just thoughts and behaviors and unfolded into what people are proud of and ashamed of regarding their personal character. Uh, it's another testimony to the richness of these Q&A episodes being due to you guys, the audience, and your testimonies, more so than my leading here. I had Tom Ziegler co-host with me, and we talked through the very candid and vulnerable testimonies that I know you will relate so much to. I think this show will give you both grace for uh, your, any shame you have while increasing your conviction to pursue what you are proud of in your personal character. Well, till then, folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.